Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Paranormal Corner. I don't know why I always want to say crew, but Paranormal Corner. Like the host, Nick, you ready to have another exciting guest with me? Uh, author, remote viewer, um, seer, Rick Wade. And thank you for joining us. Hopefully you all can hear me. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Awesome. I should message Jay that we're fine. <laughs> Hopefully you see this. And uh, we're going to share a little bit about your latest book, right? Uh, the Loving Child. Yes. Uh, trying to talk and write at the same time. Bear with me. I, in fact, behind me, I have all your books. It's very rare. I have all the yes books. <laughs> <laughs> well, we okay. know it's a long time. All right, now, now I send Jay a message. Hey Jay, speaking of Jay, I have, I want to give him a quick shout out. Uh, after all, he is our sponsor, and we thank our sponsors, Jay Hill, and uh, Studio Six Paranormal Entertainment. And uh, we will be back with author Rick Wade. He's asking his latest book, The Eleventh Child, which I'll show it if you. <laughs> and after this. Alright, I don't want to hit in. <laughs> oh gosh. Bear with me, folks. Alright. Just get used to this platform. And we'll be back. Met with authors here, remote viewer. I mean, yes, many psychic abilities. And right now, today, we're actually discussing his latest book, which, if I may so, is a little child. And I got it. read it. It's awesome. And of course, uh, we'll have Q and A. Uh, along with our interview. Uh, bear with me, I have a bit of a hold. <laughs> okay, hopefully you see the comments, alright. Anyway, welcome guys. So yeah, so I don't want to, I'm sure we all have a story to tell, you know. And uh, I was wondering, what prompted you to write The uh, Eleventh Child? Well, you know, I... I've written two other books, and um, and I wanted people to, you know, try to understand about my childhood, you know, where I came from, how I lived. I, I wanted people to experience what I was offering, you know, as a kid, what happened to me growing up, how many homes I moved. You know, my mom moved a lot. She uh, was very poor. She had a bad heart. And, uh, I'm trying to hear that. She had 11 kids, and I was wow. in and, um, you know, it was really rough on her. Um, so basically, you know, the, the books, how it, I kind of set the book up like this. I, I basically set it up from my earliest memories at each home I lived in growing up. 
Now there were some other homes in there, but honestly, I don't remember. My memories, uh, I don't remember certain homes growing up. My brothers and sisters tell me that we lived here and we lived there, but I don't remember. I only put the memories of the homes I lived in, what I can remember. And each home is all my memories, all put together in, in, in each home that I lived in. So which is kind of cool because it kind of gives you an understanding, you know I mean? Uh, I like on, on the first home, you know, I, I used to, I remember certain things. I was so young. I was only like probably five years old. And I can remember three to five years old, right in that range, somewhere like maybe four. Uh, I can remember certain things about each house. And at this house, what was interesting about this house was there was a graveyard on our property. And I thought oh, that, wow. that was really cool. You know, we had our little house, farmhouse in Coldwater, Coldwater, Michigan. I had an old barn out there and we had a graveyard that was right next to the barn. It was kind of cool. Even as a young, young kid like that, I still was into going into the graveyard. I mean, I thought it was kind of cool. It was kind of scary and creepy though. Uh, but the thing about growing up is my mom, she loved anything spooky. She loved anything creepy. And what she would do is she would get us together at night That's cool. and, and she would actually have us sit around and Sometimes she would actually play like the scary show, the creaking door, which is an old show back in the days where they would tell scary stories or she would just tell scary stories about the graveyard and, you know, like the ghosts or the demons or the, you know, whatever you want to say, the dead were coming in to actually get us. She always had us scared to death. I mean, I was having nightmares from a very, very young age. Oh, the weather. And, and it stayed with me, you know, the nightmare stayed with me because of my mom, my whole young part of my life, I was scared to death. My mom was scaring me to death with her stories. Wow. And um, it stuck with me to a point where even whenever I got older, I started having nightmares and they stayed with me all the way up until I got into the paranormal. And then my nightmares changed. But all these stories in each book, I mean, I take you down that path that I walked, you know, from my first experience with finding an actual uh, a dime, you know, the old the old dimes that had the wings on the dimes. Uh, I found an old dime that was out by one of our houses. And that's something that usually means like there's a angel or spirit nearby, right? When you find well, well, they, yeah, they say, yeah, if you find <laughs> things, it's usually busy. I didn't back then, I didn't know what spirits and stuff were, you know, right? Was, <laughs> but you know, the thing is, a lot of my childhood growing up, I got picked on, I got beat up. Or I got mistreated. You know, I got mistreated by people, um, and 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 that's a lot in the book. You know, I I saw my first albino person whenever I was very very young, and I was really shocked because I'd never seen an albino person. That was kind of interesting for me. Uh, but that was part. Of, I tell a little bit about that story in my book. My first. Do you mind, do you mind explaining what that is? Well, basically, is, an albino person is. Um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna ask me that question. <laughs> basically, person's skin. Um, I think it's um, it's it's a. Um, how am I gonna explain that to me? How am I gonna explain that? And just a person that their skin is totally white. Um, and I say the mom, the mom, mom is black. And then uh, the dad is black, and then they have a child that's completely white. That's, I mean, it's an albino. Their skin is albino, like what? That's kind of like how um, my late husband was. He wasn't black, but he was Creole. Yeah, and I, I, and I think it's, 
It was the first time I ever seen it, and everything's white about them. I mean, their eyelids are white. I mean, everything. I think their eyes are pink. Oh wow, that's so rare too. They're very interesting people. You know what I mean? Um, I, and like I said, it was just my. It was kind of shocking for me because I'd never seen anybody like that. So um, it was just one of my one of my childhood memories. Uh, there was just a lot of childhood memories, but in each house there was always something going on, interesting. I mean. In one of my houses that I lived in, I talk about finding the neighbor lost her watch. Uh, she lost her watch and I was just out playing outside and all of a sudden I seen it over by the corner of the house. I picked it up and I gave it to her and she ended up giving me a dollar bill and I went out and bought some candy at the gas station. Oh wow. I was very young. Yeah, I, was, I was still very young. But the thing is, is you know, I, these are just the stories that I remember. I remember jumping over a fence. And I ended up stepping on a barbed wire fence and, and the wire went so far in my foot that it hit wow. the went another four or five inches back toward my heel, uh, which was not very good as a young kid, but I never really wore shoes because I only had one pair of shoes at the time. And mom always made us take off our shoes when we got home because she didn't want us to ruin our shoes out in the mud and stuff. So right. I'd go out barefoot <laughs> all the time. And this was in Michigan going out barefooted. But you know, wow. I saw that thing and, and it was it was so painful and my mom tried to get it out and she couldn't get it out because it was stuck up there you know so she had to jerk it she gave me a stick she told me to bite on the stick and then she pulled that pulled it out finally and then i had to go to the doctor and get a tetanus shot but you know these are the memories that are in the book from my first girlfriend and i'm telling you my first girlfriend this is really weird i know i was kind of crazy but i was like six years old five or six years old when i got my first girlfriend now that sounds crazy right who has a girlfriend at five or six years old? I had a crush at that age. <laughs> Did you really? So it was my first girl I ever kissed. I kissed a girl at like five or six years old and I, I was hurt the, like the next day because she actually went off and ran off with another another boy that she liked. Oh. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, and, and the thing is I had emotions, I had feelings and everything for this girl. Now, why would I do that? Why would I have it at su such a young age? There was a song called Rock the Boat back in the 70s. And I used to cry. Over the song. Yeah, that was my song. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. That was a song I would cry. I don't know why. It just was connected to her and we you know, sung the song together. Um, Maybe but, you knew each other in a past life. Well, you know, I didn't even know anything about past lives back then. So, you know, I, I, just, I just knew there was a connection. Why was I so emotional? Why was I so emotionally um, had emotional feelings like that, you know, why was I having those kind of feelings at a young age? And I had to actually think about it because why would I that, you know what I mean? But you know, you got to understand my mom, she had a lot on her plate. So a lot of times she would go to the oh, bar, yeah. <laughs> she would go to the bar, she'd drink, she'd get into fights. I mean, there was probably a lot of stuff going on around me as a young kid. So I wasn't completely stable. And maybe that was what was going on. You know, I see my mom going through stuff. I see her coming home. I see her passing out on the floor. You know, I see her crying all the time. I see her sad. That is tough. I had a similar experience with my grandfather. Excuse me. He would always drink. So he would pass out. And I would find him laying there like, you know, that's, that is traumatizing for a child. And, and, and I think that is, you know, yeah. in, in one house, you know, like I said, mom would tell me all these stories all the time. And. And they were affecting my mind. And then one night I was actually at another house at, at, at Taylor Street House in Grand Rapids. And I remember seeing what I thought were 
I, I was told they were demons outside on the window, out on the limbs. I would see like, well, it looked like owls out there, you know, all over the trees. I would see a bunch of owls. And, oh, wow. And I always thought they, they were demons because I was told they were demons because, you know, my mom used to read the Bible all the time and she always said they were demons. So I would actually have night tears. Now, see, back then nobody knew what night tears were, but I had night tears. So I would get up, I would run around the house screaming and hollering, they're coming to get me. I see the demons and, you know, I would. I, it would it'd be it'd be to a point where I would wake everybody up, and I would not be a I would not be awake. I would be awake with my eyes, but I was really asleep, running around. So one night, my mom just grabbed the Bible and smacked me in the head and said, "Get out of there, demons!" She really thought that there was demons inside of me, wow. but there really wasn't demons. I was having night terrors because of what she had created over the years from a very young age. That was put in my mind. That was put in my dreams where all the time i was being you know chased by things i was being chased by mm -hmm. creatures i was seeing creatures i would see things in my room that looked like a, an actual creature and stuff so that's what it was but there's a later on story later on in my life i figured out what that was and which is interesting because when i started ghost hunting those dreams stopped when i started actually oh, wow. understanding what was going on with me those things stopped because Really what it was, was I was a gifted individual and I had no clue. My mom was gifted, my brothers and sisters. No, we don't have a clue. <laughs> and, and it got to a point where the spirits were saying, listen, dude, listen, man. Those are not actual owls out there. Those are actual spirits. Those are energies and spirits trying to communicate with you. They're wanting to talk to you. And I didn't know. I just got so, chills. <laughs> and, that, and that's what I learned from getting into paranormal. I started become, I became a seer. And I started to communicate with people and past loved ones and stuff. But at the time, as a young kid, I didn't know what it was. Mom didn't know what it was. Nobody really knew what it was. And so, and I would have so bad of nightmares that every night I would dream about an actual, like a rock or a boulder growing from a little small marble into a big boulder coming after oh, wow. me. Hill, where it's going to actually crush me and then I get out of the way and then I would wet the bed. So that's what was happening to me all the way up to like, I think it was like, I think at nine years old, I was wetting the bed. So if, if you understand what's going on here, you know, you know, I think it's not really a good thing to actually bring that much kind of creepy, scary stuff into a kid's life. Right. I, I really got to enjoy the kid's life like I wanted to because of all the scary fears and watching all these creepy movies and stuff growing up as a kid. You know, I think it was kind of kind of a rough situation for me and I didn't even know it until later on in life and and now I, I've witnessed even with my other kids you can't have them watch certain shows certain movies because it does affect their mind you know it does affect them to a point where they actually can actually yeah. it can actually do something to them in a way that can harm them but see my mom didn't know that either she was mm -hmm. into hearing people she was into all that stuff and the thing is about us you know my mom was a medium she could actually read people in coffee cups. She could actually put uh, coffee grounds, a little water. She turn it and then say a prayer, and then she lifted back. Yeah, I read something about that. Yeah, tea reading, tea reading. Yeah, it's kind of like tea reading, but it was actually yeah. coffee grounds, and she could actually. Coffee, huh. Yeah, she could see the highs and the lows and the darks and the lights and stuff, and that right, right. there, um, and it would come true what she could see. I think what it was is she was a medium. She was using the cup as a way to actually help her, like I do sometimes with the recorder. But really, okay. I don't record her, but that's just how she was like an extra tool or something. But uh, the thing is about about that is 
my mom had some kind of gift and she had spirits around her so they were around me we would do seances all the time growing up my brother was able to read spoons my sister was able to read objects but we had seances and i was a young kid oh, wow. seances and having this young kid sit on my mom's lap whenever she was doing holding hands in a seance was really really dangerous i was just sorry to cut you off i was just going to ask you if any of your siblings also had it yet how to answer that <laughs> yes yeah i have my brother rocky i have my sister joyce yeah. you know all of my brothers and sisters have something going on oh i just took it to the next level okay i took it to the next level but what i was trying to say is you know i talk about this book and i talk about the experiences i ran into and, and what happened to me and i really felt now that I'm a mature grown man, I can look back at those memories and say, you know, maybe there was something negative that was around me or attached to me as a young child because I got beat up a lot. I got picked up by boys and girls. They always stole my money. They always knocked me down, take my food. I mean, they were always picking on me, but why? I was a nice kid. I was friendly. I was kind. I was very poor. And I'll tell you, a lot of times I wore the same pants all week long. Order a pair of socks, the same pair of socks, same pair of underwears all week long because I didn't have a lot or mom didn't do the laundry. So there was not a lot of socks and a lot of underwear. So, and maybe, you know, honestly, I probably did as a young kid, I smelled because I don't remember taking a lot of baths growing up as a kid. Hmm. And, and I think that was another thing that people picked on me because I probably did smell like, you know, stinky feet and stuff like that, you know? And whenever I used to go to school, I used to actually pee in the school. I know it sounds kind of gross, but um, this is what was happening to me as a kid. And, and I, I'm documenting all that stuff that was going on in the book, you know, what was happening to me. You know, I was scared. I had, I had, I think I had some emotional problems. I think I did growing up, you know, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I didn't have any confidence. I was scared all the time. Um, I, you know, and, and the thing is, is I wish I didn't really have anybody there to actually kind of really hold my hand because I don't think my mom ever came to any of my school events or ever came to any of my school counseling or anything. I don't remember that. So it was kind of like I was alone growing up, you know, alone growing up. And I think that was kind of rough. I mean, if my mom would have been there more, maybe I'd have been a different person. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually happy who I am now. I'm happy with what, uh, what I've done with my life and, you know, what I've yeah, that's worked it. hard to create, you know what I mean? But, um, but even in, in some of my stories, I even go on, on the Martha Hill was an interesting house that we lived in, in Grand Rapids. And this house oh, yeah. was the, the number one haunted house that we lived in. I mean, this was an amazing house. It was a beautiful house, but it all started one night. I was out with, uh, at, at a wedding, at my brother's wedding, and we all came upstairs. I mean, all came up the road to uh, go back to the house. His mom wanted us to go home. And, and as soon as he walked in the door, um, the basement door, you can see the handle start turning and it's kind of like someone was trying to get in the house from the basement. Now the, the basement door was locked from the inside, so nobody can get in and nobody got down there. So somebody was trying to get in the house and there was the only way to get in there was through that door. So it was interesting. We all got scared. We all ran back down to the house and then we told mom and she said, well, there's nothing going on. She brought us back and everything was kind of calm for a little bit. And then a couple of nights later, my sister started screaming at the top of her lungs. She's seen these hands, these white hands coming oh, up wow. the steps and coming toward her, just two white hands. And she was freaked out. So we went up there, she's bawling her eyes out. She's scared to death. 
And then the next day we started investigating the house, you know what I mean? My brothers and we thought there's something going on here. There's weird stuff happening. So we went in the basement. Now this is like I said, in, in, in the Martha Hill story, we went in the basement and down there were two tombstones. Now they were worn off. You couldn't tell the age or anything, but it was small tombstones, like two children's tombstones. So we felt that maybe there was something weird going on because of the tombstones. Okay. And then later on, we end up going and checking out the upstairs and, there was a chimney behind the bed where they used to have an old stove and you used to have that hole, you know, where the actual pipe used to go in. And right. what we would do is uh, my brother went in there and he started going in there and reaching in and see what he could find anything in there. And what he did, he kept pulling out it. He pulled out a dowel and, and, and then he pulled out some dowel toys and stuff. But as we noticed, the dowel had no hands. So somebody had cut the hands off the dowel. So, oh, which well. is kind of weird. Yeah. You know I mean? Cut the hands off the dowel, everything else is there but no hands. And then that just kind of, you know, gave us some uh, chills because of the hands my sister was seeing, the white hands, you know. Was it somehow a young kid got hurt? Was it somehow that, you know, something was going on where somebody was harming a child that lived there? Um, I don't know. Um, but all I know is there was weird activity and we saw shadow figures, we heard people walking upstairs. There was all kinds of weird stuff happening in the house. And later on, as I, oh, end, I bet, yeah. Yeah, as I end that chapter, I end up talking about that the previous owner caught his wife with somebody else and he ended up killing himself in the house. And I didn't know that. Nobody knew that until my mom told us at the end before we went to get another place. So well. he, he took his own life in the house. So, you know, was that part of it? I don't know. All I know is that the place had activity. But as as I talk more Possibly. <laughs> and I go into other homes, we still had activity. We still had things going on. But like I said, in each in these books, I take you from Grand Rapids. We end up leaving Grand Rapids when I was nine years old. We end up going to Kentucky. I take you to Kentucky. I take you, you know, I was a young kid, nine years old. And the first house that we lived in, which is interesting because we lived up a holler. It's called Trace Fork. And we lived up the holler and, and usually a holler has you can have like one main road then you have little branches off the holler and they would have a, another name too and right. we lived out we lived up trace fork and when we got up there we drove up there and and i didn't know but as soon as we got out of the car everybody was smelling something like what's that smell and it was cow manure and you would not believe it but our house was right in the middle of a cow pasture oh no so the cows were running all around our house. Our house that we were going to live in was in the middle of a cow pasture. It's not a great smell. I know we have that out here. <laughs> no, it isn't. So, but, but, you know, we were very poor and we were just happy to get a house. Right. And I, I talk about stories in that house, you know, how we used to go on the, in the mountains and we used to go climbing the hills and we'd go for hours and hours. We'd go climb the hills. You know, I, I got to see my first chickens there. I got to see the, 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 the baby chicken, or the baby, um, oh, yeah, thank you. uh, baby, I can't even talk. Uh, one thing I am doing though, uh, with my mind, I think I'm slowly having issues remembering things, which is not good, but mm -hmm. it's been the last six months. I've been going through a spell with my memories kind of like, I can't remember names. I can't remember. Yeah, I that. So there's something going on with my memories and I don't know what that is. Maybe it's something maybe i'm overdoing my brain or something but um but anyway so you know the first time i saw baby chicks 
and the first time that I actually climbed a tree, a real tree, you know, I climbed this tree one time in the back of our house and I climbed so high that they used to call me a monkey boy. I so, used to do that, believe it or not. You used to do that too? I was been outside most of the time or the piano. And, and the thing, I used to climb up really high in these trees and I used to try to get, we, we got a bunch of baney chickens. Now these are little dinky roosters, they're called baney chickens and they're like- I did. Sorry, saying hi to people. Hey, hello. Everybody watching, welcome. I'm talking to authors yeah, here, Rip Wade. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and I would climb up. See, at nighttime, chickens roost. So what we would do, we let the chickens out during the day, and at nighttime, we try to get them back into the coops. But sometimes they wouldn't go in the coops; they would fly up really high up in the tree. So I would climb up as high as I could to get that little baney rooster. And one time I reached up and I was probably 20 feet off the ground. Oh man. And the branch broke and I went down and landed on my back and I knocked the wind out of me. And it was so bad. Yeah, I, mean. <laughs> I thought I was dying. It was so bad. And I was the only one there. There was nobody else around because I was just that crazy kid. And, that, and the thing about it, Kentucky, there was so many, you know, it's really weird because, you know, in my whole childhood, I was never really watched. You know what I mean? I was able to go anywhere I wanted, do anything I want at a very young age, five, six years old, seven years old, I'm roaming the streets. Now that's, I would never let that happen to my daughters that are 12 and 17 right now. So what was going yeah. on my mom, my mom's mind at the time, you know, to let her child roam these dangerous streets, which was dangerous. Somebody could have kidnapped are taking me but back then people really didn't pay attention to you know the kidnapping now you know now it's different but back then it was just a nicer neighborhood i mean people were just they were kind people actually picked people up when they were hitchhiking things were different back in the days in the 70s you know yeah I mean? um but the thing is about the kentucky thing though it was i would she would let me go and i would roam the mountainside by myself now it was very dangerous because there's copperheads and there's water moccasins and I talk a few times in my <laughs> about almost dying a few times. Hmm. In one of my stories, I talk about this young kid. He was actually going fishing and he went into the dump. We had a little dump at the end of the road and he went into the dump and he started picking things up and he got these crawlers and he stuck them in his pocket and he started walking down the street. But he didn't know that what he really got was baby copperheads. Oh. And they bit him in the leg and he died right there on that road. And my brother I bet they were venomous too. Yeah, and my brother, yeah, they're worse than the actual grown up a baby is. They have more oh, more wow. poisonous poisonous venom. But my brother actually found the kid. He was dead in the middle of the road as he was walking down the holler. Wow. So and that's the thing about it, you know. Growing up I was always in the creek. Growing up I was always lifting up rocks. One time I was lifting up a rock, and I'm telling you, there was a water moccasin underneath there ready to strike. If it would have been, I would have died because I'm deep in the woods. Nobody would have found me. I would have died. And Because once they bite you, you have like, I don't know how long you got, but not very long. So I would have died before I even got back to the house. Wow. But I've been having guardian angels watch me ever since I started my journey. I think we both do. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people do. You know, I think we do have guides and we have uh, guardian angels. Because I've come so close. In my book, I talk about multiple times almost dying. I talk about 
back in the days we used to get on and you know we used to have a truck and we used to all get together and sit in the back of the truck and a I lot do that too yeah a lot of times we <laughs> but the thing is about it we would get everybody together all my nephews and stuff we get on a truck and we just go and just drive around crazy where we could well one time we was going like 55 miles an hour and everybody just having a good time and we hit kind of like a bump in the road and i honestly flew out of the vehicle oh, no. flew out of the vehicle <laughs> And I was head first. I'm telling you, I seen the concrete with my eyes, the concrete going 55 miles an hour. Yikes. And my brother grabbed my foot and my leg and pulled me back in. Now that, uh, you can say that's not a near death experience, but to me, if I would have, one more second, I would have been dead. There's no way. I would have crushed my skull and everything. You know what I mean? So I I witnessed, well, it wasn't me, but I witnessed my cousin having a similar accident. She actually literally fell all the way out the car, and I was frozen so much in fear that I couldn't speak. <laughs> They're like, "Where's your cousin?" I'm like, "I couldn't talk." And that's so scary. I finally told them. And, 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 and you think about it. I mean, in my book, I talk about having that kind of fear too. You know, whenever my son was swimming out in this lake and he actually was not supposed to go out there and he jumped off a bridge and went out in the middle of this lake and he wasn't a very good swimmer. And I screamed, holler, where you at, Brandon? Where you at, Brandon? And he said, way out here, Dad. He was out in the middle of the lake. Now, let me explain something to you. We're talking from where I'm at out to him. It's probably 100 yards to get oh, to well. him. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, I got to go save him, right? There was right next to me some actual swimming stuff where you can actually rat i mean some you know life preservers and stuff it was right there i could actually mm-hmm. took with me i didn't do that i could have ran around the lake he was only five feet from the other edge five to eight feet from the other edge maybe 10 feet from the edge i could have walked out and picked him up i ended up freaking out and swimming across that lake i got him and what do you think Ooh. i I, tr- I went and swam back that long distance wow. just went off the edge there and been out. But see, your brain doesn't think when you're actually in that no. that freaky fright, you know, your kid's gonna die stuff, you know what I mean? And I went down multiple times, he went down multiple times. The only way I saved both of us was whenever I went down and I got back up, I threw him as far as I could. Three to five feet, I throw him, boom. And then I'd swim to him, he'd go back down, I'd go back down, I'd get back up and I'd throw him again until we got back to land. But I was scared to death. I thought I was going to die. I thought he was going to die. And guess what? My two daughters were there at the edge of the water looking. That would have been horrible if we both would have went down. And they would have had to witness that. You know what I mean? Horrible. Maybe you're listening to your gut instinct. Usually, uh, that's what I like to call your angels whispering. When you listen to your gut instincts. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I should have listened to something else because it would have been a lot easier. And uh, I would have known... <laughs> I have made mistakes. In this book, I talk about making a lot of mistakes, okay? I talk about making a lot of mistakes. One big, another big mistake was, you know, I was getting ready for a fishing trip with, my, with a friend of mine, and I had my two boys, and my wife said, listen, take Layla, which is my baby, take Layla with you. She wants to go with you. So at the time, I had a minivan, and, and the second row seat, one of the seats was down, so I ended up taking her and putting her in the third row seat, and I buckled her up and everything. I had my son back there, my other son up front with me, we went to the actual, uh, uh, to Myers to uh, do some uh, shopping and get some uh, honey, I mean, some fishing stuff. And the thing is about it, I ended up doing a reading in the car just for a few minutes. Okay, it was like 85 degrees. I was like pretty oh, close wow. to fly. 
And then I end up getting done with the reading. I open the door. I said, boys, let's go. And I went in to the store. Okay, so I'm in the store. We're shopping. We got us some life jackets. We're enjoying ourselves. Never once did it cross that I left my daughter in the van. Never once. So I get in there, and I probably was in there 15, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, it just clicked. Where's Layla? I said, oh, my God. So I took out my flip-flops. I ran as fast as I could, got to the van. Now, she was in there like 20 minutes. She had a red face. She had tears where she had been crying. She was probably scared to death because we just left her. You know what I mean? And I opened up the door. It was warm in there. It was warm. I don't know how long it takes for a person to pass, but it was scary. So I grabbed her. I took her into to Myers. I ended up giving her her favorite drink, which is uh, Dr. Pepper. We all like to drink Dr. Pepper. And everything was fine. But yep. <laughs> it, I told my kids not to tell my wife. But my wife sensed something. As soon as I came home, she sensed something. And I finally told her. And she was, she was shocked. That was her baby. You know what I mean? And I just, now how can a man, now we watch it on TV all the time, how mothers right. and fathers leave their kids in the vehicle. I did the same thing. His or pet. You know what I mean? And their pet. I did the same thing. My mind wasn't there. My mind wasn't on my child. My mind was on reading a person and getting some fishing equipment. Now, how sad is that? You know what I mean? Very, very sad. I'm just glad he made it out of (laughs) here. And, you know, in my book, I talk about other mistakes that I made. You know, I did did make other mistakes. And uh, one thing was... I, uh, before I get to that part, I, uh, I did join the military for a little while. I was in the service for, uh, well, yeah, thanks for your service, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. I was in the service for only about 11 months. You know, I joined the Navy. I went to boot camp at Great Lakes. I talked about the whole story about going to boot camp. Um, you know, I lost my mom a few years beforehand. Uh, so yeah, I was starting to hear that. Oh, thank you. I, I was kind of still, you know, kind of out of it. You know, I was moving from family to family to brother to sister and sister, you know, just trying to survive. But, mm-hmm. um, I got in the service, you know, and, and I had some friends wanted to hang out with me. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I never really was into drugs. I never really was. I did do some drinking and stuff, but they ended up offering me a little bit of, uh, like his paper stuff. They said, listen, take this paper stuff and we're going to go play some handball. You'll have a, a lot better time. So I didn't know what it was, but it was blotter acid. And I didn't know what blotter oh, wow. back in the day. So <laughs> I, I, that either. I took this put it underneath my tongue, let it melt. And I'm telling you, it was weird. I was like fast. I was Superman. I was the greatest ball. I probably wasn't even hitting the ball, but that's what was going on with me. You know what I mean? With my mind, I ended up going out and I had a date later that night. Now you got to understand, I end up like eight hours later, I'm still, maybe about six hours later, I'm still on this weird, weird high. And then I end up supposed to have a date at nine o'clock. So I had my Walkman. And I had my speakers, my Walkman. Back in the days, you know, Walkmans were popular. And I, I went, out the, went out in front of this bar, and I'm jamming. And I'm waiting for my date at 9 o'clock. And I'm noticing all these cars go by. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. They're thinking I'm a super dancer. Oh, my goodness. They're, like, yelling out, wow, man, look at you. You're the best dancer in the world. You're the greatest. So I'm, like, really enjoying this, right? Because I'm like, ooh, that's really cool. So I'm dancing and dancing and dancing not paying any attention. Next thing you know, I looked at my, my watch, and it was – Three in the morning, I had danced outside oh. for six hours, missed the bar. I mean, that's what acid did to me. It put me in this weird zone where everybody, I, I was like a superstar on stage. 
and I really wasn't. I was dancing for six hours, and I just can't believe it. That's kind of like what, what, what happened to us. My late husband and I, during our wedding, we just danced practically all night, and like, we even forgot to eat and all that. <laughs> so they saved us a hate. So. Well, it, we it, like to dance. It, oh, I like to dance too. But the thing is, is you know, it's like, I never ever touched anything like that again. Because I personally, in my book I talk about, I can't handle any kind of marijuana. If I take any kind of marijuana, say if I was to take a hit off of marijuana, a joint, mm -hmm. I will be high for eight hours. And most people, maybe a couple hours, I'm eight hours. It really affects my mind. Oh, wow. Body. Yeah, it does. Same with alcohol. I can have a couple beers and I'm gone. I'm wasted, which is kind of crazy. But that's just how it is with my body. I have a very, very weak immune system whenever it comes to something like that. You know. Oh, uh, thanks, Dave. What? They said Dave said glad you're you know. Well, and the thing is, you know, um, like let's get back into this book. But in the book, you know, I, I, I made mistakes. I made big mistakes. I end up. Oh, we all do. <laughs> well, I made a bigger mistake. At, at, at later on, and I, I, I talk about. I end up going to one of my girlfriend's house and. Um, we end up getting an argument, and I end up, you know, you know, kind of holding her, holding her in her house. It was my house. I was letting her stay there, but I was holding her in my house, and I was telling her, "Hey, you can't go nowhere." And what ended up happening is, I end up going because there was something wrong with me. I was actually, um, I was visiting my family earlier, and I think I somebody gave me some ecstasy or something. I didn't know what it was. There was something going on where I was actually not right. I was angry. I was happy. I was wanting to actually commit suicide. All these things was happening to me, and I ended up walking 65 miles to get to my house. And when I got there, I ended up having issues with her, and they ended up calling an ambulance. They ended up taking me to the hospital, and then they ended up arresting me for an abduction charge and aggravated menacing. So in my own house, right? But it doesn't matter because I put her in fear. And that's what it was. So I ended up going to jail for 90 days. And I'll tell you what, I tell the whole story about being in jail in my book. And I'll tell you what, it's interesting because I was scared to death, you know. I was a young guy. I'd never been in trouble. And um, what had happened to me, they put me in a cell with like 30 guys. And I was scared to death um, to be in the yeah, cell. Okay. <laughs> there was only one bathroom. One bathroom. Oh, man. Guys there. But, you know, after a couple of days, I started loosening up. I started showing card tricks. It's like, cause I've always been an entertainer, you know what I mean? So I started showing card yeah, tricks. Yeah, tricks, you do. Yeah, and people liked it, you know. It, it got mm -hmm. to the point where I was making friends in there and so, stuff. And then they ended up taking me out of that cell and putting me in a felony row. It's called a felony row. When you have a bad crime, if you murder somebody, if you, uh, you know, rape somebody or something like that, or a robbery or something, you go in this called a felony, uh, felony row. It oh, is wow. six cells, and you have one hallway, and you have six cells that's connected, and none of the cells lock. You're open to everybody. But the thing is, they end up putting me in one of the cells and had me bunking with another guy. And uh, the first day, I, I just started walking down the cell, um, and then all of a sudden, this big guy, like probably six foot eight, 280 pounds, comes up to me and hits me right smack in the face and knocks me down. I would never read that yet. Just whacks me waxed me big time and knocked me down so i'm like i was shocked you know what i mean I, I don't even fight i don't you know i don't fight at all and this guy knocked me down so i went to um, stay in my cell with this other gentleman 
and he, he was a Mexican has been in there for a few years and he was an older gentleman in his 50s and he told me so listen this is what you need to do in here you need to a eat as much food as possible so you're not tempted by him because see he has snacks he has uh, cakes he has books he has everything he's that kind of he's that kind of like the pimp of all the cells you know what I mean <laughs> but he has everything so if you want anything you had to pay him for stuff um, so he said just eat all your food and and never ever ever walk down that way during the day he said do it at nighttime stay up all night long sleep during the day so he wanted me to sleep opposite of what he was doing so I wouldn't get you know to any alter altercations with him so I end up taking his advice I end up working out doing push-ups every night in the cell eating all my food never threw out any any food I just always ate I kept growing I started getting muscles I started you know in 90 days man you can make it make a big difference so before I was getting oh, yeah. up um, the thing is there was a gentleman that was coming in the other cell that was actually um, he had actually hurt a child and um, they end up putting him in there and they beat him so bad that he almost died right there in front of everybody so it's very if you mess with a child and you go to jail or something be careful I mean don't be careful you they're not going to be careful with you. They're going to actually hurt you because you can't hurt a child when you go to jail. They're going to get right. you. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. Um, but anyway, so they end up taking that guy out of there. And it's kind of scary to actually see all these people beating this guy up and smashing his head up against the cells and stuff. I was witnessing all that stuff. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going down too. Because I, I was looking at 20 years. So I'm thinking, man, I'm going down too. I'm scared to death. So um, the last couple of days before I had to go for my arraignment, I started walking down. It was the middle of the day, and I walked down, and he jumped out in front of me, that big guy again. And I hauled off and hit him in the face, and it didn't do anything. He's a big guy, you know what I mean? But I hit him in the face, and he said, man, you're ready to go. So the whole time I was in the jail, you hear other stories in there that's kind of scary too. But the whole time in jail, you'll see what these guys were doing was trying to make me tough. They was not really trying to be mean to me. It was just trying to make me tough. So, so whenever I did go to prison, you know, I was only in a jail. If I did, if I had to go to prison, I would have been ready, and I wouldn't take any crap from anybody. And that's what you got to do uh, when you actually go to something like that. But it was a scary, scary time being in there. And whenever I got out, you know, I had a, like a little window like this to see outside, and that was it. You know, like a three inch by three inch. That was all I could see for ninety days. But when yeah, I been to Alcatraz, so I kind of. You did? No, you, you, well, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, I got out, and I, I tell you what, I, I was straight as a board, never got in trouble, never did anything, and I didn't want to do anything. I was scared, and I tell you what, that's something that we need to do nowadays with these kids nowadays, because a lot of kids, a lot of even the adults are just, they just yeah. don't, they don't appreciate things, they don't care about things, they think they can do whatever they want, and they never get in trouble anymore. It's so... You know, back whenever I was younger, if I got in trouble, I could I would get a punishment. But nowadays, kids can get in trouble. They don't get nothing. They can be, you know, 10 tickets, and they won't do nothing. 12 tickets, won't do nothing. They can go 80, 90, 100 miles an hour over the speed limit and get nothing. I can go 10 miles over, and they'll probably lock me up and put me in jail. Yeah, I mean? cameras everywhere, so we will be filmed all the time. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and I, you know... <laughs> You know, so in my book, you know, I talk about, you know, learn, you know, getting my own business. You know, one thing about me that I've actually yeah. growing up is, you know, you have to work. You have to work 
to actually get anywhere in life, okay? Nobody's going to hand you anything free. You have to work hard. And that's one thing about me. You know, I, in my book, I talk about getting my own business. In my book, I talk about going to other companies and selling myself. In my book, I talk about you know going from making probably 300 a week to 3,000 a week right. because of the hard work, motivation, and determination. And I've always cared uh, a lot for the companies. I always gave them 110%. So whenever it was time for uh, me to go to get another job, I had good references all over my town because everybody knew me as a great measure person, a hard worker, and a person that can get the job done. You know, I didn't have any education. Mm. I went to 11th grade, and I talk about this in my book. I went to 11th grade, and, and the principal comes down, and he told me, Rick, sorry, but you can't be here because you don't have a guardian because my mom had died, so I didn't have a guardian, so they kicked me out of school. So I didn't have the okay. education. I did the education to get a good job. I always just worked hard and always tried to do my best. And I'm telling you, that sometimes is better than an actual college degree. Because I make decent money because mm -hmm. I work hard and I do a good job and I care about my job. And I'll tell you what, in my book, I talk about that too. Um, yeah. is you, you got to understand, you know, I'm working, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm actually a, a psychic medium, seer, whatever you want to call me. I call myself a seer. But I, I read people. When I first started, I was reading seven to ten people uh, every day. I did that for like four or five years. So I've read over 11,000 people. I've helped so many people. Wasn't that like draining sometimes? Well, you know, honestly. Like, you know, around yourself, you know. Well, when I first started doing this, um, I was only reading one person a day. I was scared when I first started. And then all of a sudden, I, I met a shaman. And the shaman told me that. You know, I'll be able to read five, six, seven, eight, ten, even up to 20 people in a day. And I couldn't believe him, but no, that started happening to me. But the thing is, even though I've always given 110% to my readings too, you know what I mean? If somebody contacts me at three in the morning, most people would say, no, I'm going to sleep. But see, I would get up. I would read that person at three in the morning. You know what I mean? Or at right. six in the morning. And see, that's the thing. I always gave 110% to that too. So whatever I do, I always give 110%. And I'll tell you what, it actually, you will grow. You will actually be recognized. You will actually be known for doing that. You know what I mean? And I know a lot, I don't have boundaries whenever it comes to people, you know, needing a reading. I will. Right. You know, and I think that's what caused a lot of problems in my book with my wife because we'll be out for dinner and somebody will text me, can you give me a reading? And I'll be sitting here texting and giving her a reading right during dinner see i didn't have no way to you know understand what was priority in my life and my wife should have been priority and my kids should have been priority but in my book you'll see as you read it they were not my priority my poor priority was helping people my priority was reading people my priority was trying to find missing persons that's what my priority was and i was it was backwards you know and the thing is about it it's kind of sad because you know i hurt my wife I hurt my job, you know, I, I did a lot of stupid things with my job. Whenever I first got my gift, I was seeing things, I was feeling things about people in their house and stuff, and I was getting cops coming to my house because I was putting them in fear, which really I wasn't putting them in fear. I was, uh, the wife was fine with it, but the husband was not fine with it, and they would actually have cops knocking at my door and ask me, you know, why did you put a recorder in somebody's house, and why did you, you know, tell them that there's ghosts in her house, and you know, I was scaring people at the same time. I thought I was helping people. 
But I didn't, I didn't know how to juggle everything that was happening to me. I was getting these visions. I was able to hear things now. I was able to see things now. I was able to feel things now. Uh, and I'm reading people. Um, um, you know, I'm getting things coming to me. I was, it, it was still, I, I was still, um, to a certain point, I was still having these dreams about, you know, the things outside and things in my house before I got into the paranormal. But it, it's the point where my wife would actually smack me and tell me to shut up and go to sleep because I was seeing things in my room saying, oh my God, there's a demon there. I was still seeing that to a certain age. Uh, but whenever I got into paranormal, that all kind of like, kind of le left me. But then everybody started coming around in my, at my job. See, the spirit started coming to me at my job. So I would be at a job and the lights would be flickering or the door was slamming. Yeah, I had that happen. <laughs> and it's kind of scary when you're in a house and all of a sudden you're sitting here and you're measuring, you're talking to a customer, and then all of a sudden their closet door just slams shut right in front of you. you yeah, know, it reminds me of when I used to work at the grocery store, the spirit would leave my hair alone. And I couldn't help or anything because I was working. And, and, and then and, it followed me. And, that, and that's what it was. See, that was going on with me too, you know. Things were, I had no filter. I had no filter. I didn't know how to actually, yeah, how to um, protect myself. I didn't know anything like that. So whenever I walked into an old abandoned house, things would happen. Things would happen all the time, you know. Weird stuff would happen, and people would get freaked out in their house. They would actually call back and say, "This, there's something wrong with this guy, because weird things are happening in my house when he's here." And I would be getting in trouble, and really, I wasn't doing anything. But the spirits were actually wanting to communicate with me. So it got to a point where I was actually making mistakes at my job and I started losing money. My wife said, listen, figure this out. Figure it out. We're losing everything because you are making big mistakes. So what I ended up doing was just asking the spirits to leave me alone until I actually want to communicate with them. And from that day forth, <coughs> I, have, I have full control over any energy or spirits. So whenever I go to do a reading, I never connect with the person until they ask me. Whenever I want to connect, yeah, that's it. So they, so I, I know we're getting. I'm sorry to cut you off, but um, I know we're getting towards the end of the show. But if you want, we we stay over a few minutes so we started late, and uh, I just want to address uh, I want to thank you to our sponsors in case they didn't get it at the beginning. I want to thank JD Hill and Studio Sips Paranormal Entertainment, and of course you guys send us your questions. So we're talking about Rick's uh, new book, The Loving Child, and he wrote three books, right, all together? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the way that I have them all here, actually. Well, you know, my first book, you know, uh, my paranormal journey, uh, that's all about my paranormal experiences, learning, yeah. understanding, you know, going out, doing these ghost hunts, having all these weird things happen to me. And then my second book is about... Um, basically how I became a seer. How I started reading people on Unexplained Caught on Camera and other paranormal forums before Facebook, before TikTok, and before uh, you know all that Instagram and stuff was even out there. There was actually forums where you could actually go on and read people. And I would read like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And they would actually be, it would be like an actual post. And I'd have thousands and thousands of people wanting readings from me because of how I was connecting with them. And what's interesting about this, and this is what's so cool, you know, I have so many skeptics out there, but a lot of people, don't, skeptics don't bother me because they, they really don't come around me a lot. Um, because of the way I offer the information, the way I see things, the way I connect, okay? But a lot of times on these old forums, nobody had their real name and nobody had their real face up there. 
it was all a fake name and a fake uh fake face um so whenever i was connecting with them, i was really connecting with their energy it didn't matter if you had a name john and really your name was lisa it didn't matter i still would connect with lisa's energy somehow i was able to connect with that individual just because they asked me for a reading even though they were not you know that person they were actually portraying on their page and it's interesting right. because if you think about it you know i've had multiple times where i've been tested by some very very talented people in the industry they've tested I love being tested um and, and it's cool you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. cool they've tested me and i felt a lot yeah. i felt a lot uh right. but then sometimes i would hit some stuff that was really 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 good and really on target which is really awesome but um the thing about it is you know if anybody if i can give you any advice for either um for sure. if you want to, any kind of if you if you have a gift and you want to to sharpen it up or make it better this is how i did it when i first got my gift i contacted my family family my sisters my brothers and what i would do is call them on the phone back before we had any video and i would say listen can i see if there's can i tell you what i feel around you and they would let me do that and i would actually remote view and see things in their house or hear things that they talked about earlier and that's how i started learning how to become an actual remote viewer by contacting my family in a safe zone and that's what we got to do because there's so many people that are so skeptic and they're so mean and they're so hateful out right. there that they'll make you feel terrible when you shouldn't feel terrible okay but i learned that way and then i would actually learn by watching tv i would actually put a tv show on and i'd write down 10 things about my what i was going to see and i think that's wonderful i would write down 10 things and i'm telling you before that show was over 10 of those things would actually appear in the show which is kind of cool i would actually see like for instance i would see uh an actual gentleman spill coffee on another gentleman so i'm watching the show as soon as they walk in on the t uh, on the show they walk in the store or walk into the shop or whatever the guy has a coffee cup and he spills it all over the other guy now how cool is that to be able to write an hour before and you watch the show you've never seen before and it happens that's right a good way to practice yeah i have to remember that it's making the remote feeling i'm doing that for a case right now i can't say any details but right now i can just see like some images or colors do you ever find that you see certain things when or this i work when i first did uh working on missing person cases i would give them i would work sometimes three months on a case and i would every night i would give them information what i would see and what they would do they would put all the information down and it doesn't matter it could be colors it could be numbers it could be whatever they would put it down they would piece those visions together and come up with an actual story and i'm telling you i was working with a professor and a detective and the detective said to me the professor said to me he said listen rick the way you give information is very interesting because i can understand it okay you are connecting with me you're connecting with the person that was murdered you're connected with the actual killer and you're connected with the family of the individual and you're yeah. connected with all the police department that's involved in this i see all this because i'm working with this and i can actually go down and look at all the stuff that you just gave me and it connects in every way to all these people so you're not only seeing a little piece here or a little that you're seeing the whole story through everybody's eyes that's when I said to myself, I'm a seer. I called myself a seer because he said I was seeing through other people's eyes. 
So that's how I became a seer. I thought that was kind of cool. That's how I changed my name from just Rick Wade to a seer. Um, yeah, it's a good term. Yeah, you know, um, I wouldn't mind working for the police department, but wouldn't you be afraid that you would be like called like one of the suspects? You said you got every detail. <laughs> like, well, that's why I'm afraid of. You know, I don't mind helping, but. <laughs> in my first book, I talk about that. I actually, I went when I was doing recordings. I went down. And um, I was at a graveyard, and I did a recording, and I got this man came on, and, uh, this little girl came on and said, this guy killed me. So I took this information, yeah, took it to the police department, and they wanted to see me, but I was scared to death. You're right, I was scared. But who this grown man, young girl, you know? So I ended up going there, and then I was scared, but I ended up giving them some information, and honest to God, in my first book, I talk about the name of this guy later on a couple years later they arrested that name exact name for wow. the actual, a connection to the girl's uh murder but he ended up getting off but he was connected in a way but not in the way that i was seeing it i just heard the name doesn't mean that he actually did it but he actually knew the girl she would stay all night and spend time with the family over there he was actually a cop at the time whenever i went down there and said that name so they were kind of like, probably like, oh, this is interesting. You know what I mean? Why is he coming up with this thing? You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, he, he, I guess he got wrongly accused, but he couldn't tell them where he was during the actual kidnapping. He was telling he was at this, this certain grocery store, but his son said, no, we weren't there. So he had no alibi where he was, and they still don't know where he was. So maybe he was part of it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I almost got kidnapped one time myself, and someone told me to run fast as he so I did. Well, I'll tell you what, I almost, in my book I talk about, too, I talk about almost getting kidnapped, too. Um, you know, I, you just never know. Don't take a ride from people. It's very scary. You never know who's going to actually you, not bring you home. You know what I mean? You got to be very careful, very careful. Right. Well, listen, I want to, tonight, and hopefully it was interesting. But I have some TV to watch with my wife. Yeah, well, thank you for your time. I had a great time talking, listening to your story. And uh, do you have um, where they can reach you, or you want to plug in some things right with you? Yeah, you can, if you want to uh, respond to me about readings or about my books, you can get to me on Facebook. Or if you are looking for the purchase of book, um, Amazon and Kindle, you can pick them all, all the books up on Amazon and Kindle. So. Awesome. And by the way, I want to let everybody know, we will also be featured on Audible. So, besides Spotify, YouTube, everywhere. So, we're like everywhere. So, thanks, Studio 6, Paranormal Entertainment, for that opportunity. That's awesome. So, I just want to let you know. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on, my friend. So, you're welcome back anytime. And right. Thank you for sharing about your book and everything. Alright, you're welcome. And you have a great night. Alright, you too now. Alright, thanks, Rick. Welcome. So, yeah, um, I hope you guys enjoyed our show with Arthur Sear and Paranormal Investigator. And, yeah, thank you all for listening and watching. Like I said, we'll be featured on Audible. Uh, let's see, next week, who will I have next week? I said, great, yes, lining up. It's already in April, my goodness. I'm gonna have another author. I'm gonna have Anna Mar uh, let me see if I say her name right. Anna Maria Manello. 
Alright, guys. So, till then, you guys be safe. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye, guys.